Hello, hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Deep Dive Into Practice, where I'm talking about all things anxiety and resilience. I've been talking the past few weeks about how we can make the brain resistant to anxiety, and I've been talking about mindfulness and acceptance and fear extinction, and we know there are so many effective treatments out there, but the one big thing that I find a lot of people don't understand, even professionals who've been doing this for a long time, are what the mechanisms of change are. I teach this to all my supervisees, whether they're graduate students or provisional psychologists, and I often ask them about the mechanisms of change, and they usually don't know what I'm talking about. They have no clue. And even reading research papers, you know, being able to talk about, I'm always encouraging students to talk about what is the mechanism of change, and they don't know the answer to that. And that's a problem. You know, because we need to know what these treatment mechanisms are to be effective in our work. So I pause and stop, you know, think about what you're doing with your anxious clients and what are the mechanisms of change. So the mechanisms are, of change, essentially, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's the processes by which our therapeutic interventions that we're using achieve positive outcomes. So what are those processes that are actually helping anxious kiddos manage their anxiety? So when we're looking at anxiety, by understanding those processes, we can understand how our interventions that we're putting into place in the first place are effective, right? And when we know how they're effective, we know how we can optimize those interventions because we want to be as efficient and effective as possible. And so we want to target those processes specifically that we know are helpful. So looking at anxiety, because that's what we're talking about, you know, I've talked th about things like conditioned fear. So like the case of little Albert. So just in case you don't know, I've talked about him a lot in my podcast, but you know, they paired a white rat, which was just a neutral stimuli, just this cute little being, and they paired it with a loud startling sound. So they were linking that rat to feelings of fear. And so they were making the rat as fear-based sort of stimuli for little Albert. So we know that linking that feeling of distress to the stimuli, that's the primary mechanism in developing and maintaining anxiety. And over time, people learn to associate a certain situation or a certain stimuli, sometimes people, um, they're, they're associating those things. So it could be, I love the Game of Thrones. I, I really need to figure out the um, quote, but Cersei in Game of Thrones, there's a line, something along the lines of just knowing that, that I breathe the same air as you is annoying. And so oftentimes I'm telling parents, like just picturing your face, you know, your teenager picturing your face in their head as they're walking home from school is enough to elicit stress because they're worried about, oh my gosh, what chores are they going to tell me to do? What homework are they going to tell me to do? What are they going to get on my back about today? Right. It can just start creating stress. And so oftentimes in the teenager's brain, parents are associated with stress. So that's an example, but even just different situations. So for example, having to write a test, some of the kiddos that I work with, they've got a lot of test anxiety. So that situation has been paired with stress. Maybe it's meeting somebody new, being around dogs, or even just feeling discomfort in our bodies. 
right? And, and having that catastrophic outcome that I have to sit down at 120 because otherwise I'm going to have a heart attack. You know, we, we just feel that we can't handle that. And that's what creates anxiety, even though oftentimes there's no actual correlation between those things, but our brain is making that association. And then when we feel anxious, we're paying more attention to anything that can threaten us. So that's going to worsen our anxiety and then the anxiety related behaviors, just trying to suppress our thoughts, trying to distract ourselves, trying to avoid anything that contributes to those feelings. And so I've talked about a lot of this, and that's why I've gotten into the brain to really understand some of these mechanisms that contribute to anxiety. But when we avoid, the problem is, you know, the reason why anxiety is getting worse is because we never learned that, hey, the end of the world didn't happen just because I didn't wear my Air Forces today. I didn't get mocked and ridiculed out of school because I had to wear my Adidas shoes, right? It didn't happen, but they never learn it because they always have to wear, like for my young lady, she's all, was all used to always wear a scarf. And so that was the only reason why she wasn't ridiculed and why she was never fired from her job because she always had a scarf. But once she took the scarf off, she realized it had nothing to do with the scarf at all. She was a good employee and wasn't getting fired with or without the scarf, but they never learn that when they're avoiding. So that anxiety therefore stays there because we believe we avoided the inevitable. Phew, man, that was close. Good thing I was wearing the scarf today because I for sure was going to be fired, right? Or good thing I avoided that party. Otherwise, man, it would have been disastrous had I gone. I would have been the social outcast if I had gone to that party. And guess what? When we believe that our avoidance helped us save the world or prevented a heart attack or prevented us from losing our job or from embarrassing ourselves in front of others, we're more likely to avoid parties again, not wearing my scarf to work again. We're going to avoid all of these situations or people or events in the future on and on and on and on and on it goes. And so the anxiety is entrenched and it's getting stronger. So we understand those mechanisms. So now we got to look at some of the interventions and especially some of the interventions I've talked about just the past several weeks, mindfulness, fear exposure, fear extinction, and uh, acceptance. All of these pieces are going to be really important. So these, like I was talking about in previous episodes, be sure to check them out. If you haven't, they're helping our brain become more resistant to anxiety. So exposure, let's start there. We need to think about what is it about exposure that's effective? right? What about exposure helps bring positive outcomes? Do you know? Do you know fully? So I'm going to get into it for today. So anxious people, they have these associations. So for example, me not having my water bottle, that means I'm going to suffocate. Me not having my scarf means I'm going to be a social outcast. Dogs are vicious. They're going to rip my face off if I ever, you know, have a dog encounter or presenting in front of others is completely humiliating right? And, and everyone's going to hate me. So we have this conditioned stimuli that we perceive as threatening. So like dogs, they're dangerous creatures, right? Even though dogs, you know, for everybody else who has a dog, they're like, oh, you're so awesome. You're so cute. You're butthead, but I love you, right? But for the person who's anxious, they don't know. It's become conditioned to be scared. So when we repeatedly expose ourselves to these threatening situations without trying to avoid, without trying to engage in safety behaviors, we're beginning to learn new associations. Huh. Maybe dogs aren't that bad after all. Huh. I didn't throw up over top of everybody when I presented in front of class. Huh. 
the earth didn't swallow me up whole when I went to say hi to that girl that I liked. Oh, right. So we're rewiring the brain. So when we come face to face with that fearful situation or the stimuli or whatever else is going on without anything terrible happening, we start to feel less anxious about the situation. Not fully all the time. I still get nervous every time I have to record a podcast or every time I have to present in front of a large audience, right? That's still, I still get nervous, but I still do it all the time. So what's happening here with exposure? It's not just about exposing over and over and over again the mechanism, and this is what, what my point is, because everything I've talked about up until now, you're like, yeah, obviously, the more we expose you, you're going to become habituated, and it's not going to be such a problem, right? But we're still not at the mechanism. That's what we're doing, what we're doing, and outcome, but I still haven't talked about the mechanism, and that's what the whole point of, for today is. So what we're doing is we're creating a new association. We're creating safety associations that contradict and hopefully completely override that fear-based association that we've developed. So the mechanism here is learning, new learning. That is the mechanism. Yes, I know it makes sense, but were you able to articulate that? That's really important. And I think that this is a missing piece. So this new learning, it helps us manage and even overcome that anxiety. So new learning, that's the key focus that we need to focus on with our kiddos and our clients. We have to ensure that the work that we do, anything that we do, new learning is happening. It's not just about exposure. So this is really important to understand because so many people are just going to throw kids to the dogs, literally, right? Hoping that just being around dogs, it's going to make them less scared of it. And I see it all the time where we're just going to go to auntie's house. You know, parents are bringing their kids to the dogs. We're just going to go to auntie's house and no learning's happening. That's where missing pieces and professionals as well have that mistake where they're just not making sure learning is happening. So, so many people who are thrown in that situation, kids, bah, or even adults, they just white knuckle it. So for example, let's say we've got a client who's scared of elevators. Okay. So we're going to go do some exposure. We're going to lead them into the elevator and they might go on the elevator, but they're like, you know, squeezing their fists or they're holding their breath or they're staying really tense. Right. And then as soon as they're off the escalator, then they're, they're releasing everything. The only thing that they've done is reinforced their anxiety story that that was awful. That was tense. No new learning was happening there. Even though they did the exposure, even if you ride that elevator all day long, we're only reinforcing that anxiety because now they feel better afterwards. They're so anxious in the moment, they weren't aware, they weren't mindful, they were just so anxious. They didn't have the opportunity to focus on anything other than their own anxious feelings and their own anxious thoughts. That's white knuckling it, where no learning is happening. They're tolerating the situation, but they're not actually addressing the anxiety. So now we need to look at what can we do to optimize that new learning. I've already given you a couple of hints here. So for new learning to happen, we have to have violations, expectancy violations to happen. So meaning that clients have to see a mismatch between the feared outcome and the actual outcome. And that's obvious, right? We can even say, so did the elevator plummet? Well, no, but they were never aware 
of that later on they were. But remember, we need to have that amygdala activated for new learning to happen. And so just talking about the mismatch and trying to reframe our thinking and things like that after the fact isn't gonna make a difference. So that's gonna be really important. There cannot be any yeah buts either. Yeah buts are gonna get in the way of any progress we do. Yeah, but nothing happened because I crossed my fingers behind my back. Yeah, but Caroline knows CPR, so I know she's not gonna let me suffocate, right? That goes against her ethics. We know anxiety makes us believe that I can't handle the situation. So we need to make sure that they are learning that they can handle the situation without any of those safety behaviors. So therefore to optimize the learning, that's the mechanism of change that we're talking about, they have to be aware of what's happening in the first place. And remember to be aware, that's the first thing. And oftentimes they are very aware, but the mindfulness piece is so important. Aware of everything that's going on, being in the present moment, dropping into their body. Okay, you can feel that tension. What does that feel like? Where do you feel it? Okay, I can feel the tension in my head. They're not ruminating about the elevator plummeting. They're noticing what's happening. So anytime they try to distract themselves or suppress those feelings, or it's okay, 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 it's okay. They're really not in the present moment. We're just going to be caught in that anxiety loop, doing anything to try to make themselves feel better, to alleviate that anxiety. It's not going to be helpful because we're reinforcing that story that anxiety is bad. These feelings are bad. These thoughts are bad. We need to get rid of them. That's not our goal here, right? And we're reinforcing that I can't handle these feelings. So I just need to get over it and, and, and let it be done. So we need to also learn the acceptance piece because it's one thing to be mindful, but we need to also accept whatever those moment by moment experiences are that come into play. So that's going to be really important. So you can start to see an integration of all of these pieces that I've already talked about awareness first, then comes mindfulness. But with exposure, we have to have that mindfulness and that acceptance and that awareness here. That's what's going to be key when we're looking at our exposure pieces. So all the things that I've talked about in the past few weeks, it's not just one or the other. It's all of these skillfully incorporated and knowing what it is that we're targeting. But going back to that mindfulness piece, if you remember, uh, I can't remember which episode, but it was another episode where I talked about extinction learning and how it's really context dependent, meaning it doesn't generalize easily. Definitely not as easily as fear-based learning. And I've talked a lot about this throughout a lot of episodes. So with little Albert, he only had to learn the rat, but his brain quickly associated anything white, cotton balls, but also fur coats, not even a little white thing, also big fur coats, brown fur coats. His brain quickly generalized. It, it's not the same for safety learning. It's very context dependent. So when we're looking at new learning has to happen, we wanna try to maximize that generalizability. That's gonna be really important. So we have to be mindful and we have to be fully present in the moment when we're doing exposure specifically so that we can be aware of the signals that are associated with safety learning. Because remember, our amygdala wants to block off all of that other information that's gonna tell us, hey, this is actually okay. This isn't a big deal. Because remember, that's the prefrontal cortex's job. So mindfulness and awareness and acceptance is important for our brain to pick up all of those safety learning signals. And so when we do exposure, that's why all of that is so important. So 
oftentimes I find, you know, professionals a are nervous putting kiddos into exposure sessions in the first place. But if they do tackle it, they're not doing it very effectively because now they're trying to make the anxious kiddos feel better. Oh my goodness, maybe this was a bad idea. It's that reverse hypnosis where we get sucked in and maybe we feel bad and we're uncomfortable and parents are uncomfortable, right? And so we're trying to make them feel better and 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 we're we're trying to do whatever it is, right? Remember the last time, even just remembering last time successes. I see this all the time with parents, you know, trying to teach their kiddo riding their bike. Maybe they were able to ride their bike, but then they fell off one day and now they don't want to. And they're trying to remind their kiddo, hey, remember when you went for a bike ride with Bobby and like how much fun you had, you know, didn't it go really good? chances are they're not going to connect that experience because they weren't mindful in the first place. And that's really important. Again, us talking about it is not going to change the pathways. They have to be mindful so they can physically experience, oh yeah, that expansion. That was so much fun. And you can even just think in your body, like think of a stressful time and see if you can, like for me, when I'm stressed, I go in, I go into the fetal position. I can feel that pressure on my chest. But then when I think of like one of the first times I went to, I was always in love with Disneyland, never really had a chance to go. And so I went as an adult and I was so excited and I can feel that difference, that excitement. And I tell you, the first time I ever had IHOP pancakes, they were the best things in the universe. And I bet it's because I was so excited to go to Disneyland because I've had a lot of IHOP pancakes since then, haven't been nearly as good. Um, but it's that, that feeling it's that mindfulness. They were able to pick up all of those cues. But if they weren't mindful in the first place, us talking about their past successes aren't going to help. So if they're mindful, they can draw way more easily on those past successes. Oh, yeah, I totally did this before. That was a piece of cake. And I remembered feeling great about it. That's what we need to get into. So when we look at learning and learning is the key mechanism here to be able to have positive outcomes with anxiety, kiddos have to be present. They have to be non-judgmental as well, right? So that's the acceptance piece, just taking note of what's happening. So the mindfulness, it enhances our learning because we're now paying attention. We're picking up all those, those cues. We can't learn anything if we're not paying attention, right? And when we're mindful, we aren't trying to avoid or suppress anything and we're not engaging in safety behaviors or trying to make ourselves feel better. All of those things only keep us stuck in anxiety. We are here in the present moment. And that mindfulness, because we're here in the present moment, guess what? We get to generalize our learning a little bit more easily because we can use those previous successes because we were here for them. We didn't go into autopilot, right? So we are aware and we can draw on those previous successes. That's what's going to help our generalization. So we can see now how and why that mindfulness is so important in our practice when we integrate it with exposure. Without it, no learning is going to happen. And without, and it doesn't matter how many exposure sessions we do, if no learning's happening, then we're going to stay stuck in anxiety and we're doing all of those exposures for nothing. And no wonder people hate doing them. And no wonder parents are like, oh no, we can't do exposure with my kiddo. It backfired. It did not work. It made it worse. Well, I wonder why there's probably no learning happening, right? And then it's just pointless and frustrating and upsetting for everyone. So what's promising, you know, 
we don't have to spend a lot of time formally teaching the skill of mindfulness because a lot of our anxious kiddos are already mindful anyways, right? But we want to have lots of opportunities, little opportunities throughout the day. We're not going to teach it in the height of anxiety, in the height of an exposure. We're going to be teaching them and then practicing lots of times. Okay, what does your pointer finger feel like right now, right? What does your left hip feel like right now? Just going into that. So we're going to help fine tune that skill. Just lots of little moments. Doesn't have to be a big hour sitting meditation. And especially we want to make sure that we're practicing that up applying that mindfulness to any emotional experience that comes their their way from day-to-day -day life so maybe when they hey mom you know look at what i did at school we want to be able to coach parents to tap into oh hey that's fantastic let's drop into our body i do it with my girls actually i was just doing it with my daughter last night she's like mom it doesn't work she was so upset she was just complaining about it there was an adult who was very mean to her and she just came home beside herself and the, the teacher publicly punished her in front of everybody. And she came home just beside herself and, and I had her drop into the body and I pre-warned her. I'm like, I know you're probably not going to like this, but let's do this. Mom, you can't psychologize me all the time. You can't do this. It doesn't work. But then not 20 seconds later, I can really feel it in my tummy. Okay, kiddo. Hey, it's in your tummy. So what does that feel like? Kind of a stabbing. We always go to stabbing. It's kind of a stab. No, it's more of a pressure, right? And she was able to talk about that. And just in doing that, my goal wasn't to make her calm down at all. I just wanted her to get into her body because she was just going spiraling in her head. And then this, and then this, and then the kids, and then the blah, 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 blah. So I validated all of those things. And then I brought it back into that scientist mode where we're just going to label, right? And so now she's able to sit with that. So that's going to be really important to be able to bring that mindfulness to the day-to-day -day experiences and day-to-day -day emotions. And it's definitely easier to start it with the good feelings, but when we can kind of slip them in, even if they're getting dysregulated, that can be really helpful. But this is where personalization becomes really important to be very effective in our work because we can have, like I said, two kiddos with the exact same symptoms, but they ha might have very different outcomes using even similar strategies, right? So we need to look, but some might be more effective with different types of strategies. So we need to figure out what's going on for them, but we need to know you know, what the mechanisms of change are. And then on top of that, then we can know what does this anxious kiddo need right now? What is their learning? What did they need to learn? Right. And that's why individualizing our approach is so critical. We can't have a manualized approach because every child's learning is going to be different. But that's where we need to get down to is what is it that this child needs to learn and how do we optimize that learning? So I know it's a lot of things to think about and a lot of little pieces. So starting to reflect on our own practice, where am I ensuring and optimizing learning to be able to rewire that brain? But I'll leave it here for today. As always, I go into way more detail about how to maximize the safety learning, how to maximize that rewiring of the brain when we're working with anxious clients in my anxiety uh, Compass Mastery Training Program. So you can definitely check that out if you'd like. If you want a deep dive, 
even further into anything anxiety related with me, I have weekly consultation groups above and beyond that anxiety training program as well. So you can hop on a consult with me or into our consult group. It's great because we're all, we all have ideas. And so it's not just me, it's a bunch of professionals together with fresh eyes and fresh ideas, which can be really fantastic. A lot of collaborating there. Um, but I'd love to chat with you if you're interested in deep diving with me a little bit further. You can go to my website, drcarolynbazenko.com to find out more. In the meantime, thanks for joining me today. Uh, have a lovely rest of your day. Go and help those anxious kiddos uh, be bold and courageous. And I'll see you next week. Thank you.